Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Final Furlong Podcast is proudly brought to you by our official betting partner, Kaluki Sportsbook. With betting on all sports, immediate interaction with experienced trainers, instant withdrawals, and the best odds guaranteed on UK and Irish horse racing. Kaluki have prominent betting pictures at race courses across the UK. Join us now at kalukisportsbook.co.uk. And now, get busy listening, and get busy winning. Here's your host, Emmett Kennedy. And it's great to have your company on the show today. Uh, if you are very much gearing up for the jumps, then you need to hear our podcast with Paul Ferguson. We have done a special on the hurdlers for Open Company, the chasers, and we just did a novices special in association with Weatherbees and Paul Ferguson's Jumpers to Follow, which is available now. You will get yourself a juicy Final Furlong Podcast gravy discount code when you listen to those three episodes. Make sure you head to the Weatherbees shop and get yourself a copy of Paul Ferguson's Excellent Jumpers to Follow, but you also get superb insight and analysis from Paul for the new season in those three shows. They're available now on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Spotify, of course, who we're sponsored by, and um, every other good podcast app and some rubbish ones as well. So make sure you've hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode and give us a five-star rating on whichever podcast app it is that you're listening to us on. It all helps. Speaking of it all helps, expert insight coming at you for this weekend where we'll see Group 1 horses in action Friday and indeed on Saturday for the Jewhurst Stakes. A little bit of North American action as well. It's time for Mark Milligan. Good afternoon. And this is an exciting time of year, isn't it? We've got um, the the flat season building up to a crescendo with some, some really classy events. And then, of course, the Breeders' Cup in four weeks' time. And it, this weekend also, even though we're, we're not covering it, kind of with Chepstow, over the jumps kind of marks the sort of start of the, the jump season proper, doesn't it? It does. Um, I should say that I am covering Chepstow on TalkSport over the weekend. So I'm, I'm presenting tomorrow, Friday, for the Phillies Mile, and we're doing Chepstow as well, and we're going to be talking about a bit of uh, jumps racing too. We have some stable tours coming at you very, very soon, including with David Pipe. Um, oh, what an awful blow that was today. Um, real sympathies to everybody at Pond House, uh, particularly David and um, Professor Caroline Tisdale and the loss of Adagio. I was really excited to see him in action at Newmarket. Um, the Racing Post had just done a big thing about how there'd been this ma- monster plunge on him for weeks. It was like they only caught up with it on Tuesday. How did th- I think the headline was, how did he become 5-1 to one favorite? Because he shouldn't have been that big a price in the first place. But he was... He was a very exciting prospect for them going into the new season, um, and it's a terrible, a terrible loss. Um, and one of the topics of conversation, Katie Young is joining me next week as we talk about the Irish jumpers to follow, a proper focus on on uh, Irish horses to follow for the new season. Um, but one of the topics of conversation that's come up between Paul and I is just the total lack of strength and depth 
of British horses in the two-mile division because Constitution Hill's prize for the champion hurdle is an utter joke for all that he is, without question, the most exciting horse to see this season. But seven to four for the champion hurdle is a joke. Yet, what's going to beat him? And I was just saying to you beforehand, Adagio would have probably been chasing him home or giving him a proper all race in something like um, if he goes for the Christmas hurdle, if Epiton is, is rerouted, uh, that stupid contenders hurdle. All of those races are races he would have been running in and, and running very well in, I'm sure. So, uh, great one winning hurdler, terrific racehorse, and a terrible blow for his connections. It's, um, it, is a, it is a big, big blow, isn't it? Um, for a, a stable that hadn't had a really good one for a little while and and had Adagio to look forward to. And like you say, the, the two-mile hurdling division in Britain, anyway, is a little bit bare if, if Constitution Hill doesn't go on and prove as good as he looked at Cheltenham in March, then the, the cupboard's a little bit bare behind him, isn't it? And, and Adagio would have added a, a little bit of spice to that division. Big time. Big time. But um, you are right, though. It's an exciting time of year in that we have the jumps starting to kick into gear. We can start dreaming about the potential stars like Constitution Hill, like Sir Sir Gerard. Let's see where these horses end up going. We know what Constitution Hill is. is what We know what his route is. Mouth words, five minutes and nine seconds, and they failed me. Uh, so we know what the route is for Constitution Hill. We don't know what it is for Sir Gerard yet. We don't know if he's going to go novice chasing or we'll try open company hurdles. I would love to see him in the champion hurdle. I'd love to see them go down the champion hurdle route with him. But hey, let's talk about flash racing, shall we? Um, we will talk about Chepstow next week and uh, and look back on it, but for the purposes of this show, we decided we'd preview uh, and focus on the flat and there's some very exciting races coming up, including tomorrow, Friday, the Bet365 Phillies Mile Group 1. Kaluki are currently going 7-4 to four on about commissioning, who is 2-2 two from two at the track. Rob Havlin will be on board as he was the last day. Uh, Bright Diamond, Carl Burke, and Clifford Lee is a 7-1 to one shot, and his second favourite, Richard Hughes' Sparkling Beauty with David Egan, a 9-1 to one shot. Aidan O'Brien's Library with Ryan Moore on board, 11-1 uh, this morning, now 10s with Kaluki. Uh, Polly Matt is a 10-1 to one shot for Harry Dunlop, uh, and Carl Burke's Nov- Novakai, 14-1 to one into 12-1 to one with Kaluki, um, William Buick on board. All right. This is really all about commissioning. Is there anything in here that can land a glove on her? It's unlikely, isn't it? I mean, we're only just into autumn, but commissioning's got me dreaming of springtime and how good she may be in the 1,000 guineas come early May because she's just been so, so impressive, hasn't she? The way she won her novice suggested there that we might be seeing something special and the way she won the group two Rockfell last time just confirmed the impression of her debut. She was so, so impressive there. She's very, very exciting. She's a, a long way clear of these on what we know of them so far. There is obviously, we're dealing with two-year-olds, there's obviously the potential for one or two of the others to improve and show more than they've already shown, but they, they're going to have to step up a great deal if they're going to stop commissioning because she just looks head and shoulders above them on what we've seen so far. She should win this. Um, her experience at Newmarket is a massive 
asset to her as well, but she could have run anywhere. What she's done so far has just been ridiculously good. Um, and the mile is only going to bring out more improvement, you would think. So, look, I don't have any interest in packing her at 7-4 to four on, but I don't really have much of an interest in taking her on either. To me, it's a race to sit back, watch, and enjoy. I was a little bit disappointed with Library at Leopardstown. I thought she would step up. Um, and one gets the impression that... One gets the impression. Where did that come from? Uh, I get the <laughs> idea that she is lining up here just as a... Let's find out how good commissioning and the others are so that we, we get an understanding of where we are. Um, it's a good opportunity to get black type as well. I mean, she could be second, she could be third, but it's hard to envisage commissioning being beaten. Okay, let's roll it on to Saturday, shall we, where we get the Godolphin Flying Start Zetland Stakes, which, as you know, is an elite two-year-old race. And if you want the Derby winner, this is where you go. Isn't that right? This is where you go. This is what we've said for years <laughs> on the podcast. Follow this race. Um, who was beaten in this in 2020? Mark Milligan. Was it Kiprios or was it Kew Gardens in 2020? It was Kiprios. I forget. It, it was, was Kiprios, Kiprios in 2020. Did Kew Gardens win it? He did. 2017. Yes. Yes, thought so. So now we know if you're looking for an Aidan O'Brien future staying champion, just look at the Zetland. And unfortunately, he doesn't have a runner this year. <laughs> Last year's runner, the superstar Bluegrass. <laughs> that didn't quite work out. Anyway, uh, it's a big day for Charlie Appleby. He's got some horses who are trying to redeem their reputations. And the first one was Flying Honours, who was a busted flush last time at a new market behind the Foxes. He was sent off 7-2 on and was busto. Um, prior to that, he'd been very impressive at uh, Sandown and Salisbury. Uh, but he does need to step back up. Um, I keep the faith in him. And Kaluki go 11 to 10. After that, it's a big jump in the market. Charlie and Mark Johnston's Dear My Friend is a 7 to 1 shot. Uh, Blancheland, 8 to 1. Bateman's Boy, a 9 to 1 shot. Galactic Jack, 10s, and it's 10 to 1 bar. Is this where Flying Honors gets himself back into the winner's enclosure? Is this a really good opportunity for him to just resume his winning ways, Mark? Yes. Oh, sorry, did you want some more? Sorry. Now moving on, moving <laughs> swiftly along. <No. laughs> we 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 spoke in depth, didn't we, about that Royal Lodge that Flying Honours was beaten last time. It was a four-runner farce of a race, wasn't it? Yeah. It basically yeah. turned into a two-furlong sprint. And we touched on the time form time figure for the race, didn't we? Which was one of the lowest I think I've ever seen in a group race. Um, I haven't got it in front of me, for, but from memory... I think it was in the 30s, which is just a ridiculous time figure. Well, I remember asking you to do a comparison between <laughs> like that figure and a, a similar good race, like maybe something like the uh, something like the national stakes um, at the Curra, and it was it was outrageously bad. It was just yeah, it was the the for me that race was just a complete write off yeah. and flying yeah. on as being by. Been by See the Stars out of a Dubawi mare, he was never going to be at his best sprinting over two furlongs. That's just not what he's bred to do. I think the step up to 10 furlongs on Saturday will see him in a much better light. And, pre and like commissioning in the race we just spoke of, he's head and shoulders above these in ratings terms. If this is a more conventionally run race, and I see no reason to suspect it won't be, particularly with the uh, Band of Steel, the top horse, 
in the race who has run prominently and indeed made the running on his last two starts. This should be run much more conventionally. If it is, I think flying on us will get back to the sort of form we saw at Salisbury in that listed race when he was such an impressive winner. Yeah, there was a lot to like about the two performances prior to that, even his debut. Um, and the winner of that we'll be talking about in a few minutes. Uh, was was eye-catching. There was an awful lot to like about it. And I think when you break down, I mean, we did. We broke it down in, in depth. I talked about it here. We talked about it on, on TalkSport. He was he was undone by a middling pace, uh, a muddling pace. And Charlie Appleby had options here. Like High Honor was in this race as well, and they've chosen just to go with the with the one. I suspect he will bounce back. If I'm scrolling through the list though, of horses to take him on with, which of course I am, um, Tenerife Sunshine. I mean, you are the two year old man for time form. What do you make of him? He clearly needed his his debut run at Goodwood. Uh, and then he was a winner here at Newmarket against Like a Tiger. He, typical Mark Johnston runner in that he was pressing the leaders, not out and out pushing and making all the running, but he was pressing the leaders. Um, he had to be shaken up, but I liked his attitude. I liked the way he he said about things. Andre Atzini retains the ride and the step up another two furlongs is intriguing for him. It should bring about more improvement in my mind, but what do you make of him? Yeah, he comes from a nice middle distance family as well, doesn't he? Um, on the dam side, his dam is a half sister to those um, excellent Ballymacall stud horses, Golan and Tartan Bearer, who were both high class middle distance performances. So he's only going to get better the further he goes. It was a mile last time and he kind of just scrambled home. He promises to be well suited by a mile and a quarter. He does need to step up. He needs to step up considerably on that effort last time. But when you look at that pedigree, that's, that's a really nice bit. I mean, I'm from a, a certain vintage when I, I remember these um, Bally McCall stud horses trained by Michael Stout, Gurlan in particular. Uh, I was a big, big fan of their breeding operation. And Tenerife Sunshine is, is from a really good family of theirs. I think he'll improve, but he does need to. He definitely needs to improve. I think that improvement is there, and the compensation is we're getting 10 to 1 about him. So I'm intrigued by him. I'm also intrigued in Galactic Jack. Andrew Balding's two-year-olds are absolutely flying it. He's a son of Galileo. Uh, he's raced twice at Goodwood, ran a decent race on debut when he was a massive price, and he's then come out and won by a length uh, at Goodwood over this distance last time out. So he's one horse in the field that we're absolutely certain is going to appreciate the trip. I don't think it's going to be a problem for Flying Honours. I don't think it's going to be a problem for Tenerife. Sunshine, but we know it's not going to be a problem for Galactic Jack. So, brief word on him. Yeah, he's again from a, a nice middle distance family, isn't he? He's by Galileo out of Jack Naylor, who was, I think, runner up in the Irish Oaks, wasn't she? Yes, that's from right. From memory, dig, digging into the memory banks there. We know that he stays this 10 furlong trip. He's going to be even better, isn't he, when he tackles a mile and a half next year? And, and this is, this is, that's not mince our words, this is an extreme test for two-year-olds, although mm -hmm. we're getting towards the back end of the season. Ten furlongs is a long way to go for two-year-olds, even at this time of year. And it counts for a lot, knowing that you've got a horse who's already seen out this kind of trip. 
Yeah, I'm always intrigued by this race and the Grand Prix de Saint-Cloud. They're both run over 10 furlongs. Um, there are group races. The Grand Prix de Saint-Cloud is a group one. Um, and they're, they're just, they're intriguing. They're very intriguing in terms of uh, races and prizes to, to Do you see. just go, going off piste a little bit? Go for Do it. Do you think there should be more of them? Do we need more of this kind of race? Do you think? Or be, well, we're not going to get it, are we? Because it's not what the breeding industry wants, is it? That's the problem. But I'd be intrigued by seeing more of these mile and a quarter, two-year-old races. Yeah, I would. I'd like the option to be there, but I don't. I, th- I think, as you've said, I don't suspect we're going to get it. Um, and the, the counter-argument to it would be, well, look at all the superstars Aidan O'Brien has, and he hasn't said anything anything over it for this year. Mm. Which is fair. Um, but then again, Q Gardens and Kiprios aside, you know, who ultimately were stairs, it's not exactly his very best who run on it. But um, look, it's a race I like. Ultimately, you think Flying Honours is the one to be with? Yeah, I think Flying Honours. If he re- if he just re- returns to that Salisbury form, he'll take plenty of beating. Though there are some potential improvers in here that we've already touched on but he does set a decent standard I really like the way Tenerife Sunshine responded for pressure the last day and the 10 to 1 with Kaluki is just too big so if you're getting that I think that's that's where I'm going I have a lot of respect for Galactic Jack I was really underwhelmed by Flying Honours last time out but I did say I expect him that we'll see a very different horse the next day Um, the problem is he's 11 to 10 and Tenerife Sunshine is 10s. Galactic Jack is 10s. So I'll, I'll go Tenerife Sunshine. Um, I'll probably do a reverse forecast Tenerife Sunshine Galactic Jack because if it happens that Flying Honours bombs out again and they end up being first and second, you're getting wild money for that. Um, so yeah, let's let's see how that pans out. Right, 225 is the Emirates Autumn Stakes Group 3. Epic... Oh, we had this. Epic... Epic Tatus... <laughs> Let's go with that, shall we? Nine to four with Kaluki for John and Thady Gosden uh, and Frankie Dettori. He was a very stylish winner on debut at Newmarket. Silver Knot, yet another Charlie Appleby runner trying to redeem himself. Um, he was very disappointing in a three-runner race behind Chaldean the last day for all that Chaldean will be running in the Dewhurst. Nine to four about Silver Knot and Epictetus, of course, we mentioned earlier. Uh, so nine to four, each of two. Epictetus. I think I've changed that pronunciation three times now. And Silver Knot. Uh, after that, it's the Royal Ascot hero, Holloway Boy, who has run well on his subsequent starts, but has still been beaten. He's a 7-2 shot. Uh, Dancing Magic for Roger Teal and Jim Crowley, a 5-1 shot. Explanet, Roger Varian, 11s. And Killybegs Warrior for Charlie and Mark Johnston is 20s. Again, Andrea Tsini gets the ride. What do you make of the two-year-olds in the autumn stakes, my friend? I think this is a, a really interesting little race. We've only got six runners, but there's no shortage of intrigue and interest here. Epictetus, who, of course, we all know is named after a Greek Stoic philosopher. (laughs) You want to tell everybody why? Of course, everybody knows that's his name. You want to tell everyone why we know that? Because we Googled it five minutes before we came on it. We asked Siri. (laughs) To be straight up about it, we asked Siri... And then we ask Siri to explain what exactly is Stoic philosophy as opposed to philosophy uh, and went down a complete rabbit hole. So, yeah. Um, Siri, yeah, Final Front Podcast brought to you by Siri. 
I was reading the explanation of what a Greek Stoic philosopher was, and I still didn't understand it. It was just words on a screen to me. <laughs> It was, but anyway, it was an interesting rabbit hole for both of us to fall down. I'll say that he he made uh, the the equine Epictetus. He made a, an excellent impression on debut, didn't he, at the Newmarket July meeting, um, where he had none other than flying honours back and forth in a maiden that's working out pretty well. Flying honours, of course, has come out and won the horse that was just behind flying on a sign, Castle City, he won next time. It concerns me a touch that we've not seen him since then. Mm. 92 days off the track. Mm. I, I know we're, we're talking John and Thady Gosden here, so, you know, it, it, the layoff shouldn't be a concern. It just worries me a touch that he made such an impressive winning debut, and then we haven't seen him for three months. Where's he been? What's he been doing? Um, so at potentially a short price, I was prepared to pass him over. I had a look at Holloway Boy, who is just about the best of these, actually, on, on figures. And he was impressive when he won the, the Chesham States on his debut at Royal Ascot and has, has run perfectly well in two good races since then. But I'm prepared to give Silver not another chance. Oh. He was a really good winner of the Solario Stakes at Sandown two starts ago. I just wonder if the race, the three-runner Champagne Stakes at Doncaster, maybe just came a touch quickly for him. Then he, He'd won at Kempton at the start of August. He then turned out just over two weeks later to win the Solario Stakes. He then turned out just over three weeks later, was sent off an odds-on favourite to beat none other than Chaldine in that Champagne Stakes. And he was just flat, wasn't he? It was just a flat run. I think he's better than that. Now, I, I perfectly accept that Epictetus could just be a really good one, but He's inexperienced. He's had that layoff of three months since an impressive debut. He'll be a relatively short price. I just favoured Silver not in here. I'm very intrigued by Exoplanet or Explanet, whichever pronunciation you want to go for. Um, he's a Seed the Stars out of Shamadel Mare, like Silver Knot, although Silver Knot cost an absolute fortune. Uh, he cost an awful lot of money as well. He was bought for 260,000 guineas as a yearling. I think Silvernot costs 750, if not 760,000. 725. We were close. We were close enough. We'll take that. Um, he made his debut in uh, in September. Um, he's out of a half-sister to the 1,000 guineas winner, Legatissimo. The Connections won that race. They won a division of that race last year with Dubai poet, who's pretty good, and I love the way I loved his attitude that day. I'm very intrigued as to what you thought about him, but his attitude was really good. Um, he made up ground very easily, and he went straight into the tracker as that's one to keep on the right side of. I'm very interested that Roger Varian has decided to come here with him. 
Um, obviously, he was, he was going to be the, the deep end, but I think it's. I think this is a good group three that they found for him. He was the first winner on that day when Roger Varian trained forty-seven winners, wasn't it? Yes, the, like the five hundred thousand to one seventeen timer. He kickstarted everything off, didn't he, that day? And he did show a really nice attitude. And I was impressed by the fact that he and the, the runner-up Bacento, they pulled four lengths clear of the third Conquistador, who came out and ran perfectly well next time to finish second. There is a, a winner in Lieber Power further down the field. The, the others that have run have not really done an awful lot for the form, but that not only one of the principles, one of the first four homers run since. So I wouldn't read too much into the fact that some of the also runs have come out and been beaten again since. Yes, he's interesting for me. I think he needs to step up. I think he needs to step up a fair bit, but obviously we're dealing with a, a see the stars um, cult here. So he's going to get better with age. He's going to get better the further he goes. I, I can see the argument, absolutely. I just think he's got to take a bit of a step forward if he's going to get to the likes of Holloway Boy, Silver Knot, and Epictetus. Yeah, there's a chance here that people are sleeping on Holloway Boy, including us. But I mm. would not be underestimating him at all. Um, the you know That Ascot race was being looked down on by an awful lot of people. There was a lot of people who wanted to say, oh, that was rubbish. That was a rubbish, Chesham. And then Crypto Force comes out and wins the Burrsford, and the Foxes comes out, we've mentioned as well, and, and wins. And suddenly, Lakota Sioux comes out and wins a, a nice prize. Mm. And he doesn't look so bad. Suddenly, that, that race, race is... Throwing up winners, hasn't it? Exactly. It has. And um, Holloway Boy was a real shock on the day, but not with the way he won it. Uh, he was visually stunning, and Danny Tudhope, who's not on board, Clifford Lee is going to be on board in, on this day, but Danny Tudhope looked to me like a guy who was trying to get him up for a place, and then all of a sudden he's just, poof, hit sport mode, and on he goes. Um, and of course, and he, never, you, he never had to touch fancy, him. No, if you fancy Nostrum in the following Dewhurst state, you'll be hoping for a, a big run from Holloway Boy here, won't yeah. you? Yeah, you will. So... Yeah, there's nothing wrong with finishing second to Marban, and there's nothing wrong with finishing second to Nostrum. It wasn't ideal, but there's nothing wrong with that, and he sets a very good standard here. I just get the feeling that Exoplanet, or Exoplanet, whichever pronunciation you want to go for, I have a feeling that he's group two at least, and could be running in a group one, um, and I think it's it's a good piece of placing for Mojavarian, who had options here. This is not the only horses that he could have run, um, but this is the one they've decided to go with, and that's intriguing to me. This could very well be a double on the card for Charlie Appleby, and another Godolphin two-year-old is back in the winner's enclosure, and it's all forgiven for disappointing on the previous occasion. It's also entirely possible that this is another retrieval mission which has gone wrong, um, that Flying Honors has been usurped uh, again, and the Silver Knot gets usurped again. I'm much more intrigued about Silver Knot's 9 to 4 than the 11 to 10 about Flying Honors. But having said that, you need to be very forgiving of his run last time out. 
at Doncaster, and I'm not so sure that I am. So Exoplanet at 11 to 1, I'll take that. That's the, the way I'm going to go. But I completely get where you're coming from. And like I said, this could very well be a case of the Charlie Appleby has had a double, and maybe he's going to have a trouble, because then we're on to the Darley Dewhurst stakes. Should we just give a, a quick historical lesson about Epictetus? No, we, we can. So uh, he was yeah, a, a Greek Stoic philosopher who was born into slavery. Uh, he lived in Rome until his banishment, and then went to Neocopolis in the northwestern in northwestern Greece, where he spent the rest of his life. His teachings were written down and published by his pupil Arian. Epictetus thought that philosophy is a way of life and not simply a theoretical discipline. To Epictetus, all external events are beyond our control. We should accept whatever happens calmly and dispassionately. However, individuals are responsible for their own actions, which they can examine and control through righteous self-discipline. Christoph Sumion, are you listening? <laughs> you may need to read what? some of his stuff, my son. You may need to. We're, we're nothing. We're, we're nothing if not educational, are we? Final front podcast brought to you by Siri and the Education Corner. Right, uh, the Darley Dewhurst Stakes, Kaluki Go thirteen to eight about Nostrum for Sir Michael Stout and Richard Kingsgood. Naval Power seven to two, not bidding to redeem his reputation, just bidding to enhance it because he hasn't been beaten. Uh, he's not a horse who disappointed last time out. For all of that, he wasn't great at Hayduck. He still managed to win. Uh, and he's a very exciting prospect. So the Tiafilio, who of course won this race for Jim Bulger out of a Dubawi mare, 7-2 with Kaluki. Chaldean uh, was 4-1, to one, was then pushed out to fives and has been cut back to fours by Kaluki just before we came on air. Frankie Vittori on board. Aesop's Fables. I banged the table with anger this morning as to why I didn't take the 8-1. to one. It's 11-2 to two now for Aidan O'Brien and Ryan Moore, Aesop's Fables, who disappointed in the national stakes at the Curra, but we'll talk more about that in a second. Isaac Shelby. We talked a lot about him on debut and after his win at Newmarket. We've had to wait 91 days to see him again. A uh, big player for Brian, Brian Meehan and Sean Levy. 12-1, uh, to one, been cut to nines by Kaluki. Uh, Royal Scotsman, 16-1. to one, And then Marban, 20s. After a disappointing run, in the Vincent O'Brien National Stakes, but should he be that big a prize? Well, that's up to you. Jamie Spencer, Charlie Fellows, 33s, 25s, now 20s with Kaluki. That's the current betting, but what are the thoughts of Times Forms, Mark Milligan? This is a good one, isn't it? I'm looking forward to this. I think we've got an excellent renewal and also a renewal that wouldn't surprise you at all if one of the big outsiders one such as the mm. standard of runners that we've attracted here now nostrum heads the betting and i've been really impressed by nostrum on both starts so far but there's there's one thing niggling away at me is the fact that he's just not run a fast time on either of those two starts yeah. and per perhaps circumstances have been such that those races he was in weren't conducive to running fast times. You could certainly level that argument at the Somerville Stakes last time, which the final three furlongs was run um, in a finishing speed percentage of 107%. So they were, they were going quick at the finish there, which suggests not an evenly run race. But if we look at his debut... That was a relatively evenly run race. The finishing speed 
percentage of about 103%. It's about average for seven furlongs at Sandown. And he only produced a 75 time figure there on um, time form figures. So, look, I've got plenty of time for Nostrum, and he could be a really good one. But if I was to take a short price about something in this race, I'd want to see his form backed up by a decent time figure. And that just hasn't been the case for me so far. So I'm prepared to pass him over. You know very well that I've got a lot of time for Chaldean yeah. ever since I saw him can I just, in the paddock at York. Can I just push you on this, actually? Because we both spoke about him in depth after his victory at York. You were there, as you were saying and alluding to, and mm. you were very taken with how he looks physically. He's an absolute beast of a horse. Mm. Um, I know Sheen Murphy has been a regular on the show, and he talked about how he writes work on Chaldean. And the last time he was on the show was after Irish Champions Weekend. Frankie Dettori was just off the phone with him. And Andrew Balding was talking about the Prejean Pratt, which has just gone on Arc Weekend, which would have been a disaster given the way the going went. But it was the Prejean Pratt and the Vertum Futurity. That's what Andrew Balding was looking at. He wasn't mentioning the Dewhurst, but Frankie did. Frankie said on the day, he's one for the Dewhurst. And Oshin joked... Well, maybe he's saying that because he doesn't have a ride in the race, which is a fair cop. He doesn't, uh, aside from this fella. But Oshin was also at pains, and this is a man who has raved about, um, what is the name of the Godolphin horses now out for the season? Comes back next year. Oh. Two-year-old. Um, he won at York. Yeah, he was my best bet of the week, wasn't Noble it? Style. Was it? We got there in the end. Yes, the gears. Could you hear the hamster running on the wheel? Could you hear it? Oh, man. That burning smell? That's my brain. We got there in the end, though. Noble Style has been raved about by Oshin and Little Big Bear. Basically, Oshin thinks that's the Guineas winner. Like That's the horse who's going to win the Guineas. He will be better as a three-year-old, and that should put the fear of God in anybody. Um... And I've, I've done an about take on him. I was very much of the opinion, ah, maybe he won't stay a mile. But the more I've spoken to Aidan O'Brien, the more I've spoken with Oshin, yeah, he will. And he's the one they all have to beat. Assuming he comes out okay and is back as a three-year-old, let, let's see how that goes. But Oshin was incredibly bullish about Chaldean. Incredibly bullish about him. Rides working him every day. And Frankie had been on the phone with him just before he came on the show. And Frankie again said, you know, Jewhurst. Jewhurst is where we should go. And lo and behold, here he is. And I am amazed. And I think that point that you make about the time is very interesting. Nostrum's 13 to 8. Chaldean is 4 to 1. Nah, that doesn't make any sense to me. Break that one down for me, son. Mm, uh, I can't. If we look through the prism of time form ratings and time figures, Chaldean is ahead of Nostrum on both. He's got the higher form rating he's run faster times he, he's just ahead the, the the disparity is a little bit too much for me having said that I'm going to veer away from both of them as much as I like both because I, I we both like Aesop's fables don't we yes in here um, he I was watching Two starts ago, when Aesop's Fables won at the Curragh, I was watching with the sound off 
actually, because I was doing some work at the same time, and I just I just looked up and caught the last sort of 150, 200 yards of that uh, Futurity Stakes at the current, and oh man, he was just so, so strong at the finish, wasn't he, Aesop's Fables? And that's why I was so disappointed with his flat run in the National Stakes last time, but I've come round to the fact now that I think it just came too soon for him. I, there's also the fact the ground was very soft as well, but I wouldn't I wouldn't be inclined to use that as an excuse because no nay nevers tend to go very well on soft ground. For all that no nay never is an American bred, I just think backing up three weeks after that really big futurity effort, I think he just bounced out of that. To be honest, if if Aesop's Fables comes back to the sort of form he showed when winning that Futurity. He's going to be a big player in here. And I just put it to you, if he was coming into this race, having not run that flat race in the National States last time, he'd be about favourite in here, wouldn't he? Oh, he'd be the 13-8 favourite. Yeah. The market would be completely different and Nostrum would be... I still don't understand why Nostrum is such a short price. Um of 13 to 8. I mean, you're looking at a horse who, yes, has won a group three. Well, so has his stable. So is his fellow ownership runner in Chaldine. And Chaldine's gone on since then and won a group two, bolting up. So I, I don't get that at all. In terms of Aesop's Fables, I completely agree with you regarding his run at the Curra. And I think that was Oshin Murphy's view as well. Um, I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly what Oshin said. We were both disappointed. But... And it's possible that I'm falling into a hole here. And I completely get that I have already said, well, these Godolphin horses are disappointed and they need to improve. The difference here is that the two Godolphin horses that we've mentioned earlier on are 11 to 10 and 9 to 4. This guy is 11 to 2 with Kaluki as we speak right now. And I really did punch the the table this morning when the declarations came out because I didn't see August Rodden turning up here at all. Listeners have have DM'd me and, and asked, should I back Aesop's Fables? I'm like, it's your money. You know, do what you want, but I'm backing him. And I bloody didn't take the prices I should have taken. I really should have gotten stuck in. I don't know why I didn't, because all along I could see this is the race he'll go for and August Roden will run up, line up in the Virgin Futurity. Anyway, here we are. Um, he's been my... He's in a anti-post lucky 31, which has completely fallen apart. But hey, let's... You know, we've got that. Um, but I've been very big on him for a while. He's run in the... Vincent O'Brien National Six at the Curra. Yeah, disappointing. But I think you're right. It came on the back of a massive performance in the version Futurity, which itself was on the back of a very long layoff. He had began his career on my mother's birthday, the 23rd of April, which is also Yates's birthday, by the way. Uh, he was then off for 119 days, and he comes out and was just breathtakingly good that day in the version Futurity. And how many times have we seen a horse come back after a layoff, uh, put up a big performance, and then just bounce? And it was my concern with him in the national stakes. There was a, a thing knocking in the back of my mind all along. That, Is he going to bounce to the moon? And I think he did. Um, there was no right for Proud and Regal to finish in front of him. And that tells that tells me that he just didn't run his race at all. Uh, they've chosen, of all of the two-year-olds they have, 
this is the guy they've decided to come here with. Remember that in the pre-Jean Pratt, we were going to see the Antarctic tried at seven furlongs. He came out because of the ground. But he's not coming here. He was entered, not coming here. Aesop's Fables is. And they've got a, they're not stuck for talent. One thing Aiden O'Brien is not stuck for is two-year-old talent. And they're only bringing one, and it's him. That's a statement of intent. And we're not in a debate about, oh, should we be taking two to one? Should we be taking seven to two? We're getting 11 to two. And all you have to do is forgive him one bad run. He was a Royal Ascot contender till he had his setback. He was very good on debut. He was better in the verse and futurity. It was horrible ground at the Curra, and it was a run coming reasonably quickly after a monster performance, which was coming on the back of a layoff. I think he bounced, and I think the 11-2 to 2 is way too big here. I will be doing a reverse forecast with Chaldine, because I think Chaldine should be shorter, for one thing, and I... I think he should be much shorter than Nostrum, and maybe I've got that horribly wrong. But they're the two for me. Um, and I've backed Aesop's Fables for the Guineas, and I very much hope that he's back to winning ways here. Um, Kaluki got punished by me. I think they went 20s. I'm sure it's... I know it's. I know I have 16s and 20s, and I'm 16s definitely with Kaluki, and I think 20s with them as well. So I'm looking for a big run. Um, I think he's going to win. I think he is going to win this. But given this, the stable strength and depth to only come with Aesop's Fables, that says, that projects strength to me. That projects that they feel this is the one and this is the fellow who's going to bounce back. He was sent off 13 to 8 on for the Vincent Brown National Stakes. They were convinced he was going to win that. And... They were scratching their heads afterwards, but I think he just bounced. So I'm very confident about him. I think his big danger is Chaldean. Let's talk about naval power, though. Um, so he's unbeaten in four. That performance on King George Day uh, at Ascot was unbelievably stunning. He was breathtaking that afternoon. Haydock, not so much, but... One could argue, I've done it again, one could argue, one could argue things didn't exactly go right for him and he still managed to go and win. I like him a lot. I think he's an exceptionally talented racehorse and, and one I'm very excited by. Um, yet, I'm I'm more intrigued by Aesop's Fables and I'm more enticed by the 11-2 about him. Uh, but I think 7-2 is a fair price and I can see why people want to back him. What do you make of him? Yeah, he's done absolutely nothing wrong, has he, in four starts. He's unbeaten in those four. And I think the the thing about those four wins is how well he's travelled through them all. He's he's travelled really well. He's put the races to bed when asked, particularly so at Ascot two starts ago. He wasn't quite as impressive stepping up to a mile last time at Haydock, but he did what he needed to do. Again, I, I can see, absolutely see the argument. It would be no surprise whatsoever if Naval Power was to win. I just think in terms of form, his form's not that... Well, I don't think his form is ahead of, of what Aesop's Fables achieved two starts ago at the Curra, to be honest. Although he's potentially still open to more improvement, even though he's already had four starts. As I said at the, the start, of our preamble here, you wouldn't be surprised if any of these six 
one, such is the the depth. Sorry, seven, such is the depth of this race. Even Marban, he, he can put a poor run behind him last time and bounce back. And yeah, I get naval power. I've sided with Charlie Appleby in the opening two races at Newmarket, but I'm a big, like you, a big Aesop's Fables fan here. Assuming I'll do the trifecta with the toad, um, um, Marban would go into that for me. I mean, I interviewed Charlie Fellows that weekend um, in in the build-up to our Champions weekend. They had the option of going for the Champagne Stakes, and he was delighted that they didn't. It, had they, it would have been a four-runner race taking on Chaldean. Ultimately, it was a three-runner race, and he said it was an absolute farce. Uh, the horse needs a, a strong gallop. He was also hoping for rain, and maybe they got too much because I had just driven past the Curra that morning, and it was lashing. And then it just got worse and worse and worse. So I would be very forgiving of that performance, just knowing how incredibly bullish Charlie Fellows was in the build-up to it. Um, and he had said to me, in that that interview was for TalkSport 2, it went out on the final furlong as well. He said he had heard from very good sources that Aesop's Fables is regarded higher and better by Cool Moore and Aidan O'Brien than Little Big Bear. Um, and when you consider the fact that he's coming here by himself, that's kind of backed up. Obviously, he has to put behind him a disappointing performance last time out. But the very fact that Aidan O'Brien, for Cool Moore, the Dewhurst is incredibly important. You know, St. Mark's Basilica was targeted this race for an obvious reason. Air Force Blue, U.S. Navy flag, Churchill, War Command. They, they've all won this race in the last 10 years for Aidan O'Brien. Um, and of those, St. Mark's Basilica and Churchill were, and Air Force Blue as well, to be fair, were held in the highest regard as two-year-olds. Um, this is a stallion-making race. You know, get this on the CV... And and it's it's huge for you, and ultimately that's what it's all about for the flat horses. So I'm very intrigued that Aesop's Fables is, is coming here, and I think the price of eleven to two is more than fair. But twenties about Marban, yeah, it's a bit too big. He'll he'll definitely go into a combination tricast for me. Yeah, I think he's been so progressive, hasn't he, up to the Curra. And I think it's very easy just to suggest that he, he just didn't handle the ground there. I think, yes, we're getting into the back end. It's October, but the ground rarely gets desperate at Newmarket, even at this time of year. I think it's good at the moment. So I think he'll he'll put up a much better showing this time around. Whether he's quite good enough remains to be seen, but... It, you know, he's going, he's going to run better than he did last time. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, so my one, two, three is Aesop's Fables, Chaldean, Marban. What's yours? I go Aesop's Fables, Chaldean, ah! Nostrum. Ooh, okay. Naval Power gets a complete and utter blanking from both of us. You just wait now until Charlie Appleby has a hat-trick on the day. He landed the treble. Um, Godolphin John, you are more than entitled to have a pop at both of us. How could you possibly leave them out of the equations? But let, let's see. Um, I wasn't in love with that performance I had last time. I, I'm also... I There's a part of me that wonders is naval power more of a version for Charlie yours. Um, Charlie Appleby. There was talk of him 
There was. In fact, that's what Charlie Appleby said directly after the race. We'll go for the virgin futurity. So maybe it's a tip in itself that he comes here. Maybe it is. But I, I'm not entirely certain that I want to be backing him dropping back a furlong. Um, so let's see. Let's see how that pans out. Of the three Charlie Appleby two-year-olds, so Silver Knot, um, Flying Honor, and uh, this fellow Naval Power, which of these three will end mm-hmm. up at the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf? Oh, that's interesting. Um, before that prior run, I'd probably have said Flying Honors, but now I'm not sure whether a speed test around Keeneland would really be be his bag. I think it's more likely to be Silver Knot of the three. I agree. I agree. I would be thinking Silver Knot as well. Um, for all the, I can see him winning, but I'm backing against him, obviously, with um, Explanate, Exoplanet, whichever pronunciation you want to go for. Right. Speaking of Godolphin, the Club Godolphin Cesar, which handicap is a very competitive betting heat. We've got 23 declared runners and coming out of stall 17 with Ryan Moore booked weeks ago for Nicky Henderson. A horse with no name. Four to one favourite with Kaluki. Joint favourite with Charles Burns, run for Oscar, who gets David Egan in the saddle. A horse with no name will come out of 17. Run for Oscar will come out of nine. Uh, evaluation is in six. Graham Lee on board for Keith Dalglish, and he's a 10 to one shot with Kaluki, having been backed from 12s before we came on air. Uh, Willie Mullins has booked Safi Osborne, who will ride Gibraltar. Uh, 14s into 10s with Kaluki. Uh, Willie Mullins, Baby Zeus, with William Buick on board, 16s into 12s. George Adobe will ride HMS President, 25s cut to 12 to 1. Scaramanga uh, makes his first start for Willie Mullins, 16s into 12s. Uh, the last time we saw Scaramanga was running for Paul Nichols at Royal Alaska, but he's now trained by Willie Mullins, the rich get richer. Uh, it's 116 days since we saw him. Jason Watson on board, and he's a 12 shot. Right. Uh, other prices are available with Kaluki on request. What w- do you like here in the Cesaro, which, my friend? Uh, a horse with no name and run for Oscar are obviously the two we should start with. They're the joint favorites. Have the bookies got it right? Yeah, I think they probably have. The first thing we should say is that even though there's 23 runners, the race has attracted a considerably smaller field than it normally gets. We usually get in excess of 30 runners. This is, I, I can't actually remember, in recent memory, I can't remember a Cesaro having less than 30 runners. Yeah, that's a fair shot. So 23 is a little bit on the disappointing side. Having said that... I can tell you why. It, oh. They've all been sold to Australia. <laughs> Bang on. As ever. Let's just make life <laughs> of a desperate situation. Where have all the stairs gone? Gone to us. Where have all the stairs gone? <laughs> Keep it going. Keep it going. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, it makes it a little bit easier to decipher, doesn't it? Not not massively so, obviously. The... the <laughs> For me, the starting point nowadays in the Cesarovich has got to be with the jumps trainers, yeah. the horses who train their the, the trainers who train their horses for endurance for extreme distances. And with that in mind, I think a horse with no name, I think she's a really worthy favourite in here. 
That was such an impressive win at York in the spring. We haven't seen her since then. I wonder if there's a combination of she maybe had a slight setback and she's probably been targeted specifically at this race. They've wanted to protect that handicap mark of 96, which could well underestimate her on the flat to, to quite a big degree. I think Nikki Henderson won the race last year with Buzz. Mm-hmm. She's a she's 132 rated hurdler. So with that in mind, you'd say doing the equations, 96 is probably about right in terms of a, a flat rating. But I still think she could have a little bit of her sleeve from the flat handicapper here. She look, she's a 23 year and a handicap, and she's not going to be a massive price. But I don't think. That being said, I don't think it's quite as competitive as can often be the case in this sort of race. I like the fact that Ryan Moore has been booked. Presumably, Ryan Moore could have been on any any one of the Willie Mullins runners. He could, and what's what's intriguing is Nicky Henderson had that owners and media open (coughs) day that he traditionally has, and he said that Ryan Moore's people had reached out to Nicky to ask for this ride. So he could have been riding for uh, for Willie. He could also have been on board Waterville, and obviously that would have just yanked him away from Nicky Anderson because he's on the Coolmore retainer there. Um, but you and I were both kind of in the agreement that this race was just coming too soon. That was a monstrous performance from mm-hmm. Waterville last time out, and he would have been very interesting. But they would have had uh, an option with Wayne Lorden if they wanted to. Ryan could have done the wait this time because he would have he'd have gotten in and he was obviously gone up. Um, so he could have done the wait no problem as opposed to his run in Ireland last time out in the Irish version of this was just, that wait would have been a little bit too much for Ryan to do. But it's very interesting that the only Irish trainer to win this in recent years is Willie Mullins. And Willie is coming over with a seemingly a strong hand again, yet Ryan, Moore, Ryan Moore's team, uh, under his instruction, went to Nicky and said, hey, we want to ride that horse. Yeah, that's that, that's a big pointer in itself, isn't it? And she's really, really unexposed as a stayer on the flat. And it, it seems really boring to be siding with a horse at the top of the market in a 23-runner handicap. But for me, she's just really, really difficult to get away from in here. She's the one horse in this race. You could maybe include Run for Oscar as well. Uh, who could still have some something up her sleeve from the handicapper, let's put it that way. And I think Run for Oscar falls into a similar sort of bracket on the flat for all that they're both seven-year-olds. I just think that she's, she's going to take the world of beating in here. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, now, William Mullins does have a ridiculously good record for all that he's the only Irish trainer to win it. He was third with Lagos to Vegas, or let's go to Vegas. First of all, there's no E there, Mark Johnson. It doesn't say let's go to Vegas. I had a row with him in a bar at the hotel while working for ITV for Ascot about the pronunciation, and he was just insistent. No, no, it's let's go to Vegas. It's not Lagos to Vegas. Um, Lagos is a place. Lagos to Vegas, just the whole thing makes sense. So he was third in the race. 
uh, for Willie Mullins. Then he racks up three in a row and was oh so close to winning it last year with uh, Burning Victory. But Boz was a terrific win and we're big fans of Jess Stafford here on the show. So uh, delighted for Jess and the team uh, that Boz could get the job done. Of the Willie Mullins horses, though, who come over, given his record in the race, who would you favor? I would favour of the three, Baby Zeus, purely on the jockey booking more than anything. I think mm. William Buick is an intriguing jockey booking. But having said that, he's really hard to recommend on form, but Scaramanga I find fascinating as well. Yeah, He was beaten like a million lengths in this last season. 57, wasn't, he? wasn't it? Yeah, um, and he sure he he just didn't look like a particularly well handicapped horse at Ascot last time. But I just I find him intriguing in here at a bigger price. Jason Watson as well, I thought was an intriguing jockey booking because he rode Great White Shark a couple of years ago for Willie Mullins to win this, didn't he? He did. He's Look, Scaramanga's hard to recommend. He, he on was on board form. Stratham as well. He won two in a row for him. Mm. Yeah, exactly. So Scaramanga's hard to recommend on current form, but if you're looking for a couple of angles, I think first time Willie Mullins and the fact Jason Watson is taking the ride are both really, really intriguing angles for me. I wonder why he was moved from Paul Nichols. What went on there? Oh, wait, never mind. It was Malcolm mm. Denmark. Just have to sometimes laugh. Um, Malcolm, I want all of my horses entered at Cheltenham so I can get owner's passes. Denmark, thanks very much. It's it's where they all get entered for every single race uh, that they're possibly eligible for. I'm very intrigued by uh, Scaramanga as well. The Jason Watson booking is eye-catching. Given the fact he's one, two of... Two of the three wins for Willie Mullins have come with Jason Watson. Um, I'm very intrigued by the fact that he's on board for Willie, uh, that they've they're even coming here. It's his first run for him. I, I think that's that's huge. Baby Zeus is definitely interesting. Um, I'm not so sure that I'm as motivated about Gibraltar. I could be reading this completely wrong, but I would be more interested in Baby Zeus and Scaramanga. Um, and you said it's boring to go with the favourite, but you know it's not boring to go with the favourite if the favourite goes and wins. Um, a la withhold for Roger Charlton, and I wouldn't be surprised if we're getting five to one in the morning. I suspect mm. that the four to one that Kaluki are going now, by the time it comes Saturday morning, Kaluki may very well have gone fives, um, and it's a bit more enticing. Run for Oscar is definitely intriguing, but the Irish don't have a very good record in it, Willie Mullins aside. But he is very intriguing, and particularly on the basis of his, his win at Haydock. I'm, uh, as much as I like the claims of Scaramanga, and there are a couple of angles in here that make him intriguing to me, I'm really, really sweet on a horse with no name. I think she's been specifically laid out for this Nicky Henderson won the race last year. I think the jockey booking is hugely significant. I think she takes a world of beating. Bigger price. I'd go an each-way punt 
Inchicore. I know that Ben was very keen on Inchicore for Doncaster. She ended up being fourth, third that day, beating four lengths behind Going Gone. Um, Alan King has won this race before, and she's 16s now with Kaluki. That's going to be in and around the price I think we get on the day. I wouldn't be surprised if she runs a big race. Um, Scaramanga and the other Willie Mullins horse, uh, Baby Zeus, I wouldn't put anybody off either of them. I would favour Scaramanga just on on the fact that it's a Willie Mullins' first time with a jockey who's done so well for him in this race and Jason Watson on board. But William Buick, I'm sure William Buick had his choice for Willie and he's ended up, or at least Willie has said, I'll put you on the one that I think has the best chance and this is the one who, who he ends up on uh, in Baby Zeus and we're getting a, a huge asset in our hands there in both of those jockeys and Jason Watson and William Buick but it's very, very telling that Ryan Moore's his people reached out and said, yeah, we want to be on board that horse. Um, and it has been the plan for quite some time. Um, look, she's going to take all the beating. Simple as that. Uh, so a horse with no name. Four to one with Kaluki. I think we'll get fives in the morning. What price do you think she'll be Saturday morning? Yeah, I would be hoping that five to one, nine to two would still be available by then. If, if it is, particularly if you can get that sort of price each way, oh, I'm, I'm being a bit scummy there, aren't I? Scumbag each way bet. But nothing wrong I, I, with a scumbag each way bet. You know we love those. <laughs> I think she's a bet to nothing each way, to be perfectly honest. I really love do it. like her in this spot. Love it. Um, at the Curra, there is a group three for juvenile fillies. Be happy, daughter of Camelot out of a Dancilly mare, will run for Aidan O'Brien. Wayne Lorden's going to be on board. I've said it before, I'll say it again. I'm pretty confident that Wayne Lorden is now the number two behind um, Ryan Moore. That's nothing against Jamie Heffernan, who's a very talented jockey, but he was on board this horse last time out of Cork. And obviously, they will try and retain partnerships as much as they can. I just think he's moved up the ranks there um, with the way things have gone this season. Uh, and, and Be Happy is going to be a very interesting player. She cost an awful lot of money, and she was very good. Uh, she's from a top class family out of uh, top class family of Anna Blue, a half brother to Hector de, de Mars, who handled ease in the ground. And there is going to be ease in the ground at the car at the weekend. Uh, what do you make of the race overall? Yeah, she was really impressive considering I certainly thought for the first half of the race, at least, she looked a bit clueless, didn't she? Mm hmm. Um, she she looked really inexperienced, and the fact that she knuckled down when having to come wide as well in the straight, it was it was a really impressive debut performance for me by Camelot out of a good middle distance mare. Um, she's going to get better with time and distance. I don't think. The ground being on the soft side will be any detriment to her chances whatsoever. I think she's really interesting. Like you say, she cost she cost a lot of money, didn't she? Three hundred and forty thousand was it mm -hmm. as a yearling? If she's learned plenty from that court debut, which I assume she will have done, then she's going to take a lot of stopping in. Michael Callahan runs a horse called Gazan, and a friend of mine who I rate very highly said this horse looked a monster in the paddock. 
clear pick of the paddock before her debut. And you watch that race back. She was very highly touted. There was a lot of word going around about this horse before the race. Um, you watch it back. She's done well to win. She's just a, she was a little bit green. Um, it took her a while to get the actual hang of things and what she was doing. And she's done well to win. But she is a beautifully big filly. And the note that I made and that my friend was saying to me on WhatsApp afterwards is there's going to be considerable improvement to come and keep her on side the next day. Um, I'm not going to pretend to know Kurashio, the sire, overly well, but I, I do know that um, on pedigree, she would have a blend of speed and stamina. And um, I suspect she's one to keep on side. I wouldn't be sleeping on her at all. At all. Um, and I think it's probably going to end up being between those two. Be happy and, and Gazan. Whichever one wins, keep them both on side. Assuming it's first and second and they both run good races, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Gazan wins it. Uh, be happy would be the overall pick, but we'll see what the prices are, but probably a race to just sit back and watch, but definitely with a view to the future because Gazan is one to remember um, and is going to be an awful lot better than she showed on, on debut. Um, in America, Saturday night, Sunday morning, 12.30, Sky Sports Racing will be showing Santa Anita and the American Pharaoh Stakes. Why are we going to watch this? Because it's a nice view to the Breeders' Cup. And a horse that I mentioned on the show a few weeks ago is back in action. Cave Rock, who cost 550000 of the now King's finest sovereigns um, and was hugely impressive last time out. He's back for, for that man. Bob Baffert, I got a superstar! In uh, Mr. Bob Baffert. Um, so two from two at Del Mar. Really impressive on debut. Even more so, I thought, last time, uh, given the, the strength of the race. And they're probably going to be a little bit disappointed if he can't win it. Uh, Gandolfini for Rings of Powder, friends. Although we talked about that beforehand as well. Oi, oi, oi. Um, he's also representing Bob Baffert, who's got national treasure for the same owners in there as well. He's a quality road out of a Medaglia d'Oro mare. Uh, and Skinner is going to line up here too. And I mentioned Skinner in that way because he was pretty well held on debut and was then very well held next time out behind Cave Rock at Del Mar. And yet, John Sheriffs and Victor Espinosa decide, you know, we'll, we'll have another pop. And he cost an utter fortune so maybe we'll see an improved performance there. But given the fact that you write a column for Betfair about American racing, um, this is the race that's going to tell us an awful lot more about the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. It's, it's a race that you really have to see to get a handle on how the form is there. Uh, I predict Cave Rock will win it. But you're the, you're, you literally write a column about American racing. So talk to me more about uh, the American Pharaoh, grade one, Santa Anita, 12.30, Sunday morning, Saturday night. Yeah, Cave Rock definitely sets the standard of the American two-year-olds that we've seen so far. He was a, a wide margin winner on debut over six and a half furlongs. He then stepped up to seven and again won by five and a quarter lengths with Skinner back in third. He has to prove now that he can stretch out even further. He goes from seven furlongs to a mile and half a furlong on pedigree. That shouldn't be 
any issue whatsoever. He's by Arrogate. He cost $550,000. He's bred to, to be a two-turn horse. He's not really bred to be a sprinter, so the fact that he could win as impressively on debut over six and a half suggests that we're dealing with a good one. I think there's a, there's a slight note of caution in the fact that, that Bob Baffert obviously throws a couple of his others in here as well. National Treasure, who won on debut, not in a particularly fast time, but he won nonetheless. And Hajazi, who's a maiden after just two starts, he cost an awful lot of money. Hajazi, three and a half million dollars. <gasps> what? Hajazi. And he's finished second on both starts over five and a half furlongs. He's bred to be a two-turn horse as well. He improved significantly in terms of speed figures on that second start um, when he's beaten by a horse called Speedboat Beach who won next time. He'll improve for this step-up in trip. And interestingly, this is what intrigues me more than anything about Hijazi. Bob Baffert uses Mike Smith sparingly big money Mike these days but when he's got a good one as in we look at last year's Breeders' Cup Juvenile winner when he's got a good one he likes Mike Smith to be on them and I think it's interesting that Mike Smith's ridden Hijazi on both starts today and he's on here as well if Hijazi can improve the speed figure he recorded over an inadequate five and a half furlongs last time is only just a tad slower than the speed figure, the best speed figure that Cave Rock has recorded. Damn. So he's not that far behind in terms of ability, and he could well improve by stepping up three furlongs in trips. So, yes, Cave Rock sets the standard, but you've got to take a long, long look at Hijazi in here. The, ho- the other horse you mentioned, Skinner, He's by Curling, and the Curlings, they're at their best when they get to go over a mile plus in America. So he'll appreciate stretching out to this distance as well. He needs to learn to break, though. He's been really slowly away both starts today. If he gets out of the stalls and can keep the leaders within range, then he'll have a shot. And it's interesting that he's still a maiden after two starts. But his wily trainer, John Sheriffs, has decided to go for this contest rather than just pick up a maiden win somewhere presumably because he wants to get into the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. It has to be that. Um, I mean it takes creative thinking. I did mention him beforehand just because I think it's very intriguing that they're running him here given the fact that he's got a mountain to climb with Cave Rock and what he did last time out. I mean he was beaten seven lengths on debut, nine and a half lengths behind Cave Rock last time out. And yet, here we go. They go again. Um, mm. So he's probably going to be a wild price. And he should be, anyway. And uh, he could be very interesting. Hijazi, having cost that amount of money, uh, didn't Big Money Mike ride Arrogate for Baffert? Yeah, he did, yeah. Yeah, so Arrogate is is the sire of Cave Rock, who mm-hmm. Juan Hernandez will ride. Uh, and yet, Big Money Mike is on board Hijazi. And has been for his two stars. Yeah, very intriguing. Very intriguing. That's going to tell us an awful lot more about the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. And of course, we'll be covering the Breeders' Cup right here on the final furlong as well. But 
okay, if you don't want to watch it live, hit the record button on Sky Sports Racing and um, give it a watch. Saturday night, Sunday morning, it's going to tell us an awful lot more about the Breeders' Cup Juvenile overall. And um, I think Cave Rock will win, but you've made a very, very strong case for a Jazzy. And if we're getting a decent price, let's go. All right. Best bets for the weekend. Your nap, Mark Milligan, is? It was a toss-up between Aesop's Fables and a horse with no name. And like the fool I am, I decided to make the nap in the 23-runner handicap. So I've gone with a horse with no name in the Cesaro, which is the nap. You know why I love that? Because it means I can take the easier route and go with the 11-2 to two. Aesop's Fables! Let's go! Uh, that's the nap. I think he wins the Dewhurst and will winter as favourite for the Guineas behind just just in front of Little Big Bear. Just in front of him, just a little bit. Our winter favourite for the 2000 Guineas, Aesop's Fables. If he falls out the back of the telly, I'll be absolutely gutted <laughs> given the amount of money I have on him for the 2000 Guineas. Oh, dearie me. Uh, I did a, an anti-post patent, you'll love this, on Irish Champions Weekend. August Roden for the Derby. 20s. Aesop's Fables for the Guineas. 14s. 16s. 16s. Luxembourg for the Ark. Wah, wah, wah. And that was 12s. But anyway, hey! Still got two alive, uh, especially if he subs fables goes and wins. But now I've, I've backed he subs fables in singles for the guineas, and this has been my idea of where he would go all along. Um, we're that one step closer, and I think he's going to win. So, looking forward to reviewing it. No show Monday. Um, off to the hospital, yay! Uh, but Tuesday we're recording, so hopefully you can join us then. Uh, we're also doing more jumps previews as well. Katie Young's with us on Tuesday as we look at the Irish Challenge. Uh, so very much a focus on the open company horses. We'll um, put out a tweet for questions for the Irish contenders for the new season. Uh, and there's more Jumps content coming your way as well. Before we go, do you remember having a conversation with me a few weeks ago, my good friend, where you hypothesized the idea that Kiprios would go to France and that Aidan O'Brien would unleash Waterville on Champions Day in the Long Distance Cup. Mm. Yeah, we did. We did mull that over, didn't we? Well, Mystic Milligan strikes again because you you were a hundred percent right. Waterville has been rerouted from Newmarket to the Long Distance Cup because Aidan O'Brien thinks he's going to win it. Um, so Kiprios done for the season, and Waterville will line up at Ascot next week. That's right, isn't it? It's only a week to go. Is it a week it, or two? Weeks? It is, yeah. My God. It's, uh, yeah, it's next week. Yeah, My next Saturday. God, this year has flown by. It's ridiculous. It really is. Um, so I'm I'm very excited by his prospects. But yeah, you you made a big thing about how Waterville could very well be the one to be with for Aidan O'Brien in the uh, Champions Cup. British Champions Cup, Long Distance Cup. Um I don't have any betting from Kaluki right now, but prices will be available on request, and um, we will talk about it. Next week on the show, no Trushan, no Kiprios, no Stradivarius, obviously. 
does Waterville become favourite then? It's going to be it's going to be a depleted field, isn't it? It's not going to be the kind of strength field that it would have been if all the big boys had turned up. There's, you know, I mean, if Kiprios was turning up, he'd be talking a long odds on favourite, wouldn't you? But he's clearly not. And if Trushan doesn't turn up... I'm then... wrong about Trushan. I'm wrong about Trushan. In the Racing Post, he's in the other colours. Not his regular colours. So I had uh, I had ignored him. And there was also no prices. Um, I can give you prices now, though. Because I've got them from Kaluki. So Kiprios is priced. As far as I know, Kiprios does not go. Kiprios is done for the season. But defensively, he's been put in at 13-8, which is actually the best price he can get in the industry. So if he does rock up, that's the price you're getting. But I would put a strong health warning on that. As far as I know, he doesn't run. Trushan, 7-4. Keep that on the basis of his last run. Uh, Elder Alderov, fours. I have no confirmation of whether or not he goes here. Waterville, fours. Cut from sevens. That price makes sense to me. It makes sense to me. Mm. I'm not saying I would take it, but he'll get the wait for age allowance. Um, yeah, I think he gets nine pounds, doesn't he, from mm. the older horses? Mm. He will. Uh, so he'll run off nine Coltrane and the likes will run off nine stone nine. Um, yeah. What do you make of Trushan, just very briefly? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I'm kind of a little bit on the fence with Trushan. With my handicapper's head on, that was such a good performance in the Northumberland plate, wasn't it? But at the same time, it was a handicap performance and he kind of got put in his place a little bit in the Goodwood Cup, didn't he? And then the Doncaster Cup, he appeared to have everything in his favour and couldn't get past Coltrane. Do you think his powers are waning a little bit? I think the Northumberland play aside, I think the body of his work in four starts this season suggests he's not quite as good as he was last season. I don't think he's far off, but he's certainly not unbeatable, is he? Particularly when you've got an improver such as Waterville coming into the race. Yeah, he might bounce back here and just absolutely bolt up. But his mark would suggest that that's exactly what he should do. Because going, if you were to just go on official handicap ratings, Francis side, Trushan, Trushan has a mark of 124. Kiprios has a mark of 119. Now, what Kiprios's mark is on the back of absolutely destroying a Group 1 field in Paris-Longchamp on ground that he, he's not in love with, I mean, surely he has a higher rating than, than Trusha now. And I applaud them for going for the handicap. I mean, he went for it last year. It didn't work out. He's gone for the Northumberland plate this year. It was breathtaking. I was on air that day. It was, I didn't think he could do it. And it was a breathtaking thing to see. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. I've got things wrong plenty of times. But the notion that it could be written in the trade paper by winning the Northumberland plate, Trushan has achieved more than had he won the Gold Cup. That's bollocks. It's utter 
nonsense. There's a major difference between winning a handicap off top weight and winning a group one. And he's gone for it. And there was almost certainly a miscommunication between Holly Doyle and Trushan, or else Holly Doyle just balls it up. Which resulted in him going way too soon uh, and bumping into Stradivarius uh, Goodwood. But ultimately, he was beaten. And that was a real opportunity at Doncaster to get back into the winner's enclosure. And he didn't take it. He's fluffed his lines. So there's a big question mark over him now and a major question mark about that rating. What he did in the Northumberland Plate was stunning. But in order to keep a mark of 124, you need to be able to continue to put in big performances if you're going to keep that rating above Kiprios. And how they can keep a straight face with him having 124 behind Kiprios, like that was his mark that day, and then he kept it for Doncaster, where he's beaten at 9-2 to two on. Kiprios has a perfect campaign, four group ones in a row, is done for the campaign, comes back next year. Good luck to everybody trying to take him on. If he's able to replicate what he did last year, this year, next year, Elder Alderov and everybody else has got a real headache on their hands. Trushan might very well bolt up, but I'm not interested in taking 7-4 about him right now. Not interested in the slightest. Um, don't have a mark for Waterville. Don't know what his mark is. But, um, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Like, the, the comments from Aidan O'Brien afterwards were, you're going to see a much different horse next year. He'll be much stronger. He'll be a real stare. He's going to be a cup horse next year. Um, but he has to get to that level. At least Trushan has. You know, he's a multiple group one staying winner, staying... <laughs> he's a multiple group one winner of staying prizes. He's won this race before. He's danced with Stradivarius and beaten him. But the last two runs were... You know, it was a mess up from Holly, who's normally flawless and one of the best jockeys in the weighing room, but that was a mess. And then last time out, it was all him. He just didn't he didn't fire at all. So I have little interest in taking seven to four battle. But yeah. Anything else to say on him before we, we wrap up? Um no, I I give well, I give you the time form view, Kiprios's time form rating after Francis 131, um, which puts him ahead of Trushan and makes him the best stayer of certainly of the last four or five years. That That's a mark that Stradivarius didn't even achieve in his pomp, 131. And the fact that he achieved that 131 while running the final furlong of that race in France sideways <laughs> rather than forwards... Where he wanted to go, all the more as, remarkable. as Ian Bartlett said, he just wanted to come over and say hello to the crowd. <laughs> yeah. I love that line. It was, a, it was an astonishing performance, wasn't it? We're actually joined on the line by our international correspondent, Ivan, who was going to talk to us about the um, big two-year-old race, the American Pharaoh in America, but instead wants to talk about uh, this race and specifically wants to talk about Trushan. Uh, Ivan, Ivan Venko, what do you want to say about Trushan? If you can make God bleed... And people will cease to believe in him. Oh. And there will be blood in the water. And the sharks will come. Thank you, Ivan. Oh, he's gone. He's, he's gone. He's right, though. He is right. Uh, I have ceased to believe in Trushan. And um, <laughs> thank you, Ivan Benko. Uh, pleasure as always. Right, that's it. So the naps 
for the weekend's racing are a horse with no name from Mark and Aesop's Fables from me. Uh, we'll be back with you on Tuesday. We're talking jumps racing and looking back on the weekend's racing as well. I'm on TalkSport 2 tomorrow. Uh, some more stuff over the weekend as well. And um, we've got some stable tours. First ones with David Pipe uh, and plenty more coming your way as well. And some more announcements to make on the final furlong as well, which we hope you're going to like. Um, but yeah, all of that is to come from Mark Milligan. Goodbye. Have you watched Rings of Power? Oh, you you know that I've only made it partway through the first episode. I've just, I've, I'm, uh, I'm too busy to watch TV. I can't find time to shoehorn everything in. No spoilers. No spoilers, but I, I do want to know how Galadriel and the others survive a volcano that they don't run away from. Anyway, uh, let's see how that goes. Um, but I haven't been watching it uh, aside from a comedic take on YouTube, which is just absolutely hysterical. Um, Charlie Hopkinson has been doing Gandalf roasts rings of power. My God, it's hilarious. He does um, Obi-Wan race, uh, Obi-Wan roasts Andor. And he does brilliant impressions of Ewan McGregor and Ian McKellen, but does it with a deep fake. So it's like you're watching Ian McKellen as Gandalf roast these shows. Sean Bean as well. If you're looking for some comedic take on YouTube, Charlie Hopkinson will tweet out a link to it. It's, it's brilliant. Gandalf roasts Rings of Power, one of the funniest things I've seen for a very long time on the tube of you. But a show that is stellar is House of the Dragon. Tell me you've been making time to watch that. Oh, it's so good, isn't it? Let's go! So good. Yeah, it's it's excellent. It really is. Matt Smith Uh, is amazing. Yeah. I I think there was always that fear, wasn't there? You're a big Game of Thrones fan. That How how do you follow Game of Thrones? And they've done it perfectly, haven't they? Yeah, I hated the finale of Game of Thrones, but I will argue all day long that people who say season eight was rubbish, I will I will still argue that The Long Night is one of the best episodes of any television show ever. Um, the battle with the Night King was epic with a great twist. The bells, we had been building up to that twist for so many seasons. And it finally comes. And it came really, it was a really well-executed twist and a really well-executed break for that character. Um, surely you've all seen Game of Thrones by now. When Daenerys just goes mad, that had been foretold. For, they'd been shadowing that for so long. And um, it was brilliantly done. Amelia Clark was amazing in that performance, but the finale was just... The hell is that? And there is a sequel, a Jon Snow sequel, that Kit Harrington pitched to HBO that's coming out. And I think they have an opportunity in that show to undo an awful lot of what went wrong in the in the very last episode. The last episode was toilet water, but the season itself overall was good. I was a little bit, that finale was so underwhelming, I was a little bit down on House of the Dragon going into it. And it won me over from scene one. I think I'm enjoying House of the Dragon way more than I enjoyed season one of Game of Thrones. In fact, I know I am. It's it's so good. It's incredible television. Um, and we're getting dragon. We had to wait four seasons for the dragons to be in their pump in Game of Thrones. From the jump! 
we're getting the dragon action. It's amazing. Matt Smith as Damon is just chef's kiss. It's phenomenal. And uh, the new actors who stepped in to play Rhaenyra and Alicent, uh, particularly Olivia Cook as Alicent, they are flawless. They are so good. Because uh, Millie Alcock as um, Rhaenyra was terrific. And Emma Darcy has picked up that baton and just run with it. But so has Olivia Cook as Alicent. And um, that, that turn, now they see you as you are. Absolutely <laughs> epic television. And I did see people saying, oh, it's too dark. Oh, the latest episode of House of the Dragon was too dark. If you're so stupid that you can't get the contrast on your smart TV to work, that's your problem, <laughs> not Mikhail Shapochnik's. That man apologized wrongly, in my opinion, for the lighting with the battle with the Night King. I can't remember the name of that episode, but the epic battle with the Night King, people were like, oh, the viewing oh, it was too dark. No, it wasn't. Your contrast or your HDR settings were just off. Sort it out yourself. That's your job. That's your business. That's your TV. Sort that out. Sort out your settings. Um, it's a medieval show. There are no lights. If the, if the moon is not shining bright, guess what? You're not going to see people well lit. I thought it added realism to it. I, I loved it. I really loved it. Uh, and Paddy Considine, who just seems to fall apart as each episode goes on, is playing the king brilliantly. But that, that, dude, he's lost an arm. And now he's losing his faculties as well. Did you, did you hear what he said to, um, to Alicent as he was going to bed and like very early in that episode? Well, no, it wasn't. I'm going to bed, Emma. <laughs> You're going to oh. mention your ex-wife? You're going <laughs> to mix up your part, your wife for your ex-wife? In front of everybody? Oh, no. <laughs> I've never done that. Thank God I've never done that. No, but I have a very good friend. Go I have a very good... Did it happen to you? Did it happen to you? No, luckily. <laughs> I have a very good friend who is still married to a lovely woman, and I'm not going to mention any names, but we were out to dinner one night, and he, he just he called her the wrong name, and it was the name of his ex. We all just went, shots anyone? Just like, get around in there as they just got stuck into one another. Now, thank God they were able to make up, but man. But yeah, he is, Paddy Considine as the king is amazing, but that character is falling apart as each episode goes on. And I think the Grand Maesters were trying to kill him. Because the Grand Maester who's now looking after him had said in a previous episode, might have been episode four or five, should we try this treatment? And the, the Grand Maester was just dismissive of it. Fast forward an episode and a few years, and it's a new it's that Grand Maester is now looking after him. Um, and the, the Hand of the King, uh, Hightower, had said he's going to die very soon. Very confidently said that. Um, by the way, Reese Savance is amazing in House of the Dragon. Uh, but he confidently said he's going to die. And and when he does, you know, Rhaenyra's children will be the, she'll be the one in line and she'll kill you and she'll kill your children so that they can't lay claim to the throne. That was his whole thing. 
But why was he so bullish that he was going to die? I think the Grand Maesters have been messing with the dragons, and I think they've been messing with him until this new guy took over. So yeah, there's a there's a lot. There's a lot. And um Sunday's episode is gonna be epic. It's gonna be epic, it's gonna be fire. Uh I'm loving it. So yeah, if you haven't been watching House of the Dragon, just get on Now TV, get on Sky, get whatever it is. Torrent it, baby. Torrent just get access to it in whatever way you have to and watch. It's amazing. It's at 172 years before Game of Thrones. There's some nice there's some nice back and forth between the original show and this one, but you don't have to have seen Game of Thrones to enjoy this. I just think your enjoyment is enhanced more by watching this. Mark agrees. Yeah, sorry. I was lost for words. No, it, it's so, so good. Um, I, I think everything that Game of Thrones became towards the end, as the, the CGI got better and everything just got better in the last few seasons of Game of Thrones, and they've taken all that extra technology and everything they learned from doing those last few series of Game of Thrones and the casting oh the casting is just perfect isn't it it's phenomenal it's superb it is so so good um, Emma Darcy and Olivia Cook have, have really picked up where um, Emily Alcock and I can't remember the name of the other girl but she was terrific as well as, as Alison they've just picked up the baton and it wor- it makes sense I heard Rogan talking about it that he hated that they did that no they, they needed to because you need to be able to believe that they have children and you wouldn't have believed it with the younger actresses, whereas you do, like they've gone forward 10 years from episode five into episode six. It was a five-year time jump. And we always knew this was coming, by the way. That was, that was well-publicized when the show was coming. They were going to swap actors halfway through season one. They do it in The Crown. We get two seasons of one group of actors, then new, and now we're getting new actors again. That's what they do. Um, I admit that it is strange to do it in a mid-season, but it works. And it's very believable when you're looking at uh, Aegon and Aemond and their mother, uh, Olivia Cook is 28 in real life. If that was still a 19-year-old actress playing that role, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be believable. So you know, for a show that is fantasy and faces uh, showcase dragons, it is incredibly well done, and the characters are unbelievably real. And that is all down to the writing, the pacing, and more importantly, the performances. Like you just you completely believe these characters. Menacing, um, the the menacing performances of Matt Smith uh, as Damon, while also caring for him, you know, rooting for him. It it's tremendous, and the scene at Dragonstone in the second episode, I I was pretty confident that they had been in Belfast and had shot the scene there, and then added the CGI in afterwards. No, they did that on a soundstage. That's where uh, Rhaenyra arrives on the dragon to kind of diffuse things when they're on the bridge. Yeah, that was on a soundstage yeah. because Reese Evans was did a, a feature for HBO where he was talking about it, and he said. When you're shooting a scene like that, you would have to wait until you're approaching dusk. Um, 
and then you've only got a few minutes to shoot that scene and you're terrified that you're going to bung it up because if you do mess it up or if there's a technical problem that scene's got then gone you've only got maximum an hour to get that done uh, whereas there do it in the afternoon not a bother it's amazing special effects but the dialogue the writing the characters we have a new little finger and he's even more of a psycho than little finger ever was uh, it's it's brilliant I absolutely love it could do an entire podcast on it right that's it House of the Dragon that's your homework um, I'm sure you're already watching it but if not get on it now and um, you've got Sunday for the just episode watch, just watch it episode 8 three episodes to go alright that's it uh, we're back on Tuesday with a couple of podcasts uh, hopefully you can join us then be safe be well God bless the final Furlong podcast is proudly brought to you by our official betting partner Kaluki Sportsbook with betting on all sports, immediate interaction with experienced traders, instant withdrawals, and the best odds guaranteed on UK and Irish horse racing. Kaluki have prominent betting pitches at race courses across the UK. Join us now at kalukisportsbook.co.uk.